Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamat Karsandu from New York, New York, I understand. We are not in Toronto, Canada. Before we go any further, tell me about your whereabouts and why you're over there, Sandu. Yes, I am in New York, and to be specific, I'm in Brooklyn because this week the BT Sport team is here to help cover Survivor Series. Obviously, the WWE has the four major events. You've got Survivor Series, you've got World Rumble, SummerSlam, and WrestleMania. And the squad hasn't been able to be together and travel and be on site for a WWE major event stateside until now. So this is actually a really exciting week for me personally because we've got some fun content planned. I'm actually going to be meeting some of my colleagues for the very first time. I met a few of them while I was out in Vegas for Fury Wilder 3 and also for the Canelo plant fight. But for the majority of the, the work that I've been doing, and as, as we've spoken about before, Simon, the vast majority of my work for BT Sport is actually WWE related, more so than mm. it is UFC or boxing. And so to finally meet some of my colleagues, I can't wait. I'm buzzing. And listen, it's New York. Um, just to see people out and about and, you know, seeing seeing everyone, you know, be free and you know, get back to normal in a major city like this post the pandemic. It's a, it's a great vibe and a great energy. And, and I'm really buzzing about how this week's going to play out for me. Yeah, the New York City has a very special energy about it, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's unlike any other place I've been in the world. There's just, I don't know, I, you almost can't put it into words. It just has that different energy about it. And uh, when there's a big event in town, like we were there for 205, McGregor Alvarez, and the whole place was just absolutely buzzing. And, and it's, it's a special place. I'd love to get back over there. Actually, the first, I think it was the first victim of my travel plans when COVID kicked in was it was it, it was a Khabib was it Khabib Tony Ferguson it was gonna be in Brooklyn and obviously a lot of things changed from that point but um I think that was the first victim of uh COVID travel plans for me back in 2020 um and uh, obviously it's been a while but yeah you can't be getting getting around a, a bar table or a restaurant table with your work colleagues get you know sinking a few cold beers and just shooting the breeze and getting to know all your teammates and uh it just makes it all the more fun when event day comes around. Survivor Series is always, always a good pay-per-view. So uh, I'll be sure to check out the content. BT Sport WWE is the social media handle uh, on, the one. on Twitter. And uh, is it the same on Instagram? Is there a separate WWE Instagram? No, remember, it's the same. They do for some, but not for others, don't they? Yeah, it's the same on Instagram and, and Twitter. BT Sport WWE. Awesome. So big weekend coming up for Mr. Sandu when it comes to uh, pro wrestling content. Speaking of pro wrestling, just just before we kick on and talk about MMA, did you see the clip of Junior Dos Santos uh, in AEW doing yes. moonsaults now? Um, you know, unbelievable stuff. And uh, yeah, you know, if ever there, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is, he's kind of playing a heel character. He's the least heel character you could pull out of the sport of mixed martial arts. He's the nicest, smiliest, most kind person um, as a professional fighter that I think I've ever spoken to. And uh, here he is. He's in the AEW ring, but he seems to be really, really enjoying himself in there. And we had yeah. uh, Andre Arlovsky slugging it out with, uh, oh crikey, Jack Jack Swagger, Jake Hager, both UFC versus Bellator going on in the AEW ring. So it's weird. Those line, you know, the line between pro wrestling and MMA, uh, it's not such a it's, it's not such a hard line anymore. There's a bit of blurring. There's a bit of cross pollination going on. It's great to see, and it really is. You know, some of the old stages getting over there and earning earning a few extra bucks doing a bit of pro wrestling is great. 
Yeah, AEW have really kind of forged this relationship with Dan Lambert, an American top team. And they've been working together for a good few months. And we're talking, you know, major storyline. And it's not just one or two. It's like a, a whole, you know, roster. You've got Paige Van Zandt, Austin Van Der Ford. You've got Junior DeSantos, you know, Andre Olofsky, Dan Lambert himself getting involved on the mic and also in the ring. And he's a big pro wrestling fan. And, you know, AEW definitely works more so with, I guess, ex-MMA fighters or current MMA fighters, UFC fighters, Bellator fighters, way more than the WWE do. And it's a kind of great to see that kind of crossover because you're, I'm assuming, going to have MMA slash UFC fans perhaps just, you know, take a peek, see what's going on. And you're going to you know, have, obviously, the pro wrestling fans also see if these guys can handle themselves in the ring. And like you said, seeing what Junior DeSantos did, you know, doing the moonsault. I mean, the guy at his age, he's still so freaking athletic and if he can perhaps almost carve a path for himself and give him, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight more years as a professional wrestler, why not? You know, he we see what you know, we saw what Brock Lesnar did going back and forth. And here you have another ex UFC heavyweight champion, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. And so far he seems to be doing a fantastic job in AEW. Yeah, all all of the uh, MMA guys that you see sort of dabbling in the, uh, the the AEW ring, they all seem to be just absolutely loving it. I mean, on, even Andre Arlovsky, he's notoriously stone-faced. Even, I mean, you can't even get the grin off his, his face when he's in there uh, slugging it away with, with Jake Hager. So, yeah, no, it, it is great to see. And, uh, you know, there's a bit of cross-pollination on this podcast, and that is partly because you're, you're doing that job. But that's how it is in real life as well. You know, the, the fighters are, are sort of playing both sides of the coin and, you know, Make that money, make that paper, as they say. So, yeah, that's really great to see. Speaking of making money, somebody who was absolutely on the money was Max Holloway this weekend. So was Yair Rodriguez, to be fair. That main event, we'd just come off UFC 268, Sandu, where we saw one of the fights of the year, Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje serving up an absolute lightweight classic. We then get five rounds of featherweight brilliance. Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez putting on a fight that is going to be right up there in those fight of the fight of the year lists. I mean, it was unbelievable stuff. It almost felt, I felt going into this event that having seen what we saw the previous weekend, it's a tough act to follow, but Max and Yaya went out there and did it. Unbelievable main event. Rodriguez pushed Holloway in ways that we haven't seen in the past, just really loading up with his strikes. Like first two rounds, I thought um, Yaya Rodriguez took the first round slowed down a bit in the second round. He's much more even. Uh, I actually gave Max Holloway rounds two to five, but that doesn't really tell the story of the fight. It was a super competitive fight. Great back and forth action. And uh, another another notch in the belt for Max Holloway, who is just running through featherweights. And he's running out of people to fight. I mean, what are we going to do? Conor McGregor has been mentioned. Alexander Volkanovsky obviously has been mentioned. I can't see any other fight out there for him, Sandy, but that performance really was outstanding from both men. Well, let's talk about Max Holloway first, Simon. You talk about two performances of the year, not just the performance he put in against Yaya Rodriguez, but he kicked off 2020 with an incredible performance against Calvin Cater. And what Max Holloway has done now, he's almost left no doubt that he should be in line for a title shot. If, if there was anyone that was kind of umming and ahhing about it, it's like, no, he's actually gone away. He's fought the top contenders and he's got a win streak put together again. It's like, that's what you do, right? If you lose a title fight, you go back, you know, not all the way to the back of the line, but 
you have to start to pick off other contenders and almost earn your shot again. He's earned his shot. Like, if they want to make that trilogy fight between him and Alexander Volkanovsky, I would be absolutely for it. And I don't think many people would argue or dispute that in any way, shape or form. Even Volkanovsky, if he's being honest with himself, because you've got to respect what Max Holloway has done to earn himself in a situation or put himself in a situation where he should warrant a title shot. Give it up for Yaya Rodriguez, though, Simon. The guy's been away for two freaking years. And for him to put on the performance that he did was just, you got to like just applaud it, take a bow, you know, and if only he could fight a little bit more consistently, if he could fight two or three times a year, you could just tell he's there or thereabouts. You know, he could maybe in the next 12 to 18 months be sniffing at a title shot himself. That's how good he is. He just happened to come up against a guy in Max Holloway who's just been a lot more consistent than him, has been fighting top-level competition, has been in five-rounders more consistently, has been in title fight, is obviously a championship elite-level fighter himself. So I think Yair Rodriguez will go away from the situation having learned a lot from that uh, performance against Max Holloway. And it was obviously great to see both men embrace you know, Max Holloway putting over Yair Rodriguez on the microphone in that post-fight interview. And then he literally almost chased him down found out he was in the ambulance, made sure to say hi and get, get a picture, give him another embrace and a hug before he went off into you know to the hospital. Again, just one of those iconic post-fight images, you know, that really kind of um, tell you what this sport is all about. You know, at its core, yes, there's, you know, parts of the sport where it's about selling t- tickets and pay-per-views and moving the needle. But at the end of the day, there's also a major part of the sport that's all about respect. And to see both men and the way they conduct themselves in the post-fight situation, you just got to take your, your hat off to them. And then going back to what you said, Simon, it's now going to be one of two things for Max Holloway, right? It's either going to be the trilogy fight against Alexander Volkanovsky or it's the Conor McGregor rematch. You know, it's a, it's a rematch he's wanted. You saw Conor McGregor pacing up and down in his living room or wherever he was at in his hotel room, paying attention. He's clearly frothing at the mouth to get back in there. And he's got lots of options when he comes back. I put a poll out on Twitter, Simon, and it's pretty split. 55% of people out there want to see Max Holloway, Conor McGregor too. 45% want to see the trilogy fight with Volkanovski. Yeah, and... you know, it's always about options, isn't it? We say it so many times. If you're a fighter at the top of your game, best thing you can have is options. Max, in theory, has got options. You know, the, there's the title fight. There's the McGregor fight. He's going to get a massive fight, whichever way it pans out. But let's just go back to Yaya Rodriguez just for a second. As you say, Sandy, away for two years. Listed third in the featherweight rankings. I think if he'd have won that fight on Saturday night, they'd be putting him in for the belt next because he's a fresh contender. It's a new face to put in against Volkanovski. It moves the narrative on. But with Max winning again, and you take a look at those rankings, Max is the only contender, really, at the top of that division. Brian Ortega, you know, he's been in, had his go. He lost. Holloway, obviously, gave him a bit of a shoe in earlier in his career as well. Yoya Rodriguez just got beat. Chan Sung Jung, not quite there. Calvin Cater got well beaten at the start of the year. Then you've got Arnold Allen down there at six. I think most people would accept that he probably needs another win against a top three guy in order to get himself in there. So there really is no other fight at 145 pounds for Max other than that trilogy fight. But when you've got Conor McGregor pacing his living room or his hotel room or wherever it is he was, that fight makes a lot of sense. But then you look at McGregor. Everyone's calling out Conor McGregor. It's funny for a guy who 
You know, the fans like to hate on him and say the guy's finished and all the rest of it. The world still wants to fight Conor McGregor. The world still wants to get in there, get that big payday and get in there with the first ever champ champ in UFC history. Kamzat Chimaev has been out there and has started calling him out. Michael Chandler has offered him a fight at 170 pounds. That interests me a lot. I like the sound of that a lot. So I think that would be an absolutely brilliant fight. Max Holloway versus Conor McGregor, presumably at 55. That would be a fantastic fight as well. I mean, Conor, no matter what he does, and obviously he wants to get back in there with Dustin Poirier. That's not going to happen for a little bit yet. He's got championship business to contend with uh, in the weeks ahead. But McGregor's got fights to come back to. You know, it doesn't matter what way he decides to go. He's got fights he wants to come back to. So this is really exciting for the start of 2022. And hopefully we're going to see Max Holloway in a championship fight or a massive fight with Conor McGregor. As for Yaya Rodriguez, taking a look at those rankings. Actually, while I was watching the fight, Sandu, a fight just popped into my head. And I thought, I've got to check the rankings to see whether this is actually feasible. And I think it is. How about Yaya Rodriguez versus Jika Chikadze? At 145 pounds. That would be an absolutely brilliant stylistic matchup. Uh, Giga is currently listed at number eight in the featherweight rankings. And uh, Rodriguez is currently third. So, you know, that's that, that's a makeable fight. I would love to see that. From a stylistic point of view, that would be an absolute banger. That could headline in the apex, no problem at all. And it would put one of them right up there in with a shout of a title shot, potentially. So, yeah, loads going on at the top of that division, Sandu. I mean, looking at Yair, how would you, how would you book him next? Because... He's been away for two years. Presumably, he's going to want a bit of time to heal up. That was a punishing fight. But he's going to want to have an active 2022, I would imagine. So where would you where would you look to position him for his next fight next? Well, I have to say, I love the idea of him fighting Gigi Chikadze. But at the same time, just kind of putting one of our own over, Arnold Allen, with the win streak he's got, you talk about him needing you know, maybe just one more win to get himself in the mix in title contention. He's going to need to fight somebody in that top five. And why not Yair at some point in 2020? That'd be a fantastic fight for both men. Uh, they're both there, you know, there are thereabouts uh, in the mix in that top five, top six right now. So give me one of those two all day long. I have to say though, Simon, I feel like we've been spoiled. Like the last, what, five, six weeks or so? Like when the UFC deliver, they really deliver. That It's why they are number one. It's why they are the, the elite mixed martial arts promotion in the world. They'll get the, you, know, you get the promotion, you get, you know, all the bells and the whistles, but they have the best talent. They have the best fighters. And look at the fights we've had over the last couple of weeks. It's like, it's almost every weekend we are talking about a fight of the year contender. And then we've got a plethora of finishes on these cards as well. I feel like we've been spoiled. And honestly, what a way to, to end this year. I feel like the UFC is on, is on a high right now. The MMA community is buzzing weekend after weekend after weekend makes our job easier because we're full of enthusiasm talking about what we just watched over the weekend. But yeah, an, an unbelievable fight night uh, at the apex. The only thing, and I tweeted this, the only thing I wish, uh, you know, for Holloway and for Rodriguez is, could you imagine if that was in a packed arena? Could you imagine if that was a, a 10, 12, 15,000, you know, packed arena somewhere, you know, whether it's Hawaii, the U S Canada, the UK, Mexico, whatever. I mean, that is the kind of fight that people would have just given you the most electric atmosphere, not just during the fight, but in the post-fight aftermath as well. So hopefully these lads can start to, you know, fight again down the road in front of the fans, in front of the audiences, because that's what they deserve. Yeah, I was thinking watching the fight, how good would this have been if it had been on that Madison Square Garden card? Obviously, with the two title fights that were on that card, 
we probably would have meant we wouldn't have had that fight as a five rounder. So I like the fact we got five rounds. We got five rounds of it in a main event at the Apex. And we're getting fans in the Apex now. It's got a little bit of atmosphere in there now. It's a bit like the old Tough Gym where you've got a few, a few rows of bleachers there. There's some fans in, friends and family are in there and uh, they're making a bit of a racket. And uh, it just gives it that little bit extra. And so it's not quite so sanitized and, and, uh, and clean. So, yeah, absolutely superb performance from Max Holloway. Great performance on his comeback from Yair Rodriguez. And that fight night, Sandy, you talk about the finishes. We had seven TKO finishes in a row on that card. Absolutely nuts. Only two of the 11 fights on the card went to a decision. One of them, of course, being that main event, which was an absolute banger from Holloway and Rodriguez. They got the fight of the night bonus. Performance of the night bonuses went to Chaos Williams and Andrea Lee, who maybe they're positioning for a fight for uh, the flyweight women's title uh, against Valentina Shevchenko. We will see what happens. They certainly seem to be uh, edging the conversation that way. Before we move on from this fight card, Sandy, I just wanted to very quickly talk about the co-main event. Marcos Ruggiero de Lima scoring something of an upset win over Big Ben Rothwell, just came out of the gate and just absolutely started throwing haymakers, caught Ben early, finished him by TKO with punches 32 seconds into round one. Definitive, good stoppage by Herb Dean. He got in there, the fight was stopped. However, as is often the case with Herb Dean, it wasn't the cleanest of stoppage from a refereeing perspective because he kind of went in there and when he actually put his hands on uh, Marcos, that was the right moment to stop the fight. But then he kind of backed away again and it looked like uh, Marcos was about to try and lock up a guillotine or something because Rothwell was trying to sort of take him down. It was all a little bit, a bit fudgy, a bit of a mess. The fight was stopped at, you know, the, at the right point. Rothwell didn't take any unnecessary damage, no harm done. But we're getting a lot of this, aren't we? And Dana White addressed it in the post-fight press conference. And he said he likes Herb Dean. He gets on very well with him personally but he can't be touching fighters unless he's actually going to be stopping the fight there and then. And he's absolutely dead right. And I know Herb has been criticized in the past, including from Dan Hardy, most notably for a little bit of hesitance in his fights. But I do think this is something we're starting to see a lot of. And the whole MMA world at times has been very quick to have a guy at referees for jumping in too early and stopping fights. But I would much rather have a referee being decisive, making a decision, Okay, they might get it wrong sometimes, but these top refs normally don't, you know, they normally get it right. So unfortunately with Herb, he can be a bit wishy-washy and we kind of saw that at the weekend. The operative word that you use there, Simon, is being decisive, you know, and that's the issue with with Herb. And he, I still feel Herb Dean is one of the best referees in the world and we're lucky to have him. He's obviously got so many fights under his belt. He's got to be up there in the mix of the, the most experienced referees in MMA period. Is he my number one choice? Is he like no? I think Mark Goddard is the, is the best referee in the world, and he, I feel like he has been for quite some time. But Herb, I think perhaps just needs to take on board a little bit of criticism and and hopefully change. And you're right, like the minute, and I agree with Dana White by the way as well. Like he he nailed it. The minute you put your hands on a fighter, it's going to make them change and you know maybe stop or you know and and like the minute you put your hands on them, that's it. The fight's got to be over. Because if you then take your hands off, they may have been in a situation to finish a fight. And that split second maybe could have given their opponent the opportunity to recover. So you've automatically got yourself involved in a situation where you've maybe changed the course of, of how a fight is going to play out. And so, yeah, I think the minute you're making a decision, go all the way. 
I'd rather the referees go all the way and almost in re- in reflection be like, you know what, I got it wrong, rather than be 50-50 because that's going to absolutely play it and have an impact in terms of how the fighters react. Because if I'm a fighter and I feel the referee touch me, I'm going to stop, right? Uh, for the most part, unless there's like, you know, all sorts of like mayhem and craziness going on. But yeah, I feel like maybe not even touching the fighters. Maybe it's a case of where you really have to like put yourself in between um, to really make a um, decisive um, situation there, so that both fighters realize the fight's done, the fight's over, and that's the uh, that's the end of the the, the fight at that um, time being. But yeah, you know, for for her being Simon, it's just been a little bit a lot. You know, it's like there's been a lot of this going on, especially over the course of the last you know year or so. Um, so hopefully he can change, and and hopefully you know these all issues are a thing of the past moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I will never criticise a ref for stopping a fight too early. But if, yeah. you, if you stop it a bit too late, that's when it starts getting tricky. But yeah, agree with you on uh, on Mark Goddard as well. Best ref in the world. I put Jason Herzog right up there with him as well. I think he's really seen, he seems to really come to the fore in the last year to 18 months. And he is an outstanding official as well. Very consistent, uh, unflappable in the cage, which is what you want. So um, yeah, interesting to see what happens going forward there. But that wasn't the only event this weekend, Sandu. On Friday night, we saw Bellator 271 at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida, as Chris Cyborg defended her title once again. One minute, 32 seconds was all it took for her to knock out Ireland's Sinead Kavanagh in the main event. Absolutely uh, straightforward win. Sinead went in there absolutely throwing bombs, which is great if you can be the first one to connect. Cyborg was the first one to connect and an absolutely huge right hand close the show. Big knockout. Cyborg is away and clear at the top of that 145 pound division in Bellator. And this is the problem, Sandu. We've got the women's featherweight division in Bellator. You've got the number one ranked contender, Arlene Blanco, who Cyborg beat a little bit earlier in, in her Bellator career. She fought earlier on the card and won, but it's still quite recent. So, Maybe that's not the ideal next matchup. Kat Zingano is ranked number two. Cyborg mentioned that she'd like to fight her. Then you've got Leslie Smith, who she's already beat. Then you've got Leah McCourt ranked at four. I don't know whether Leah is ready for a title shot yet. She probably needs one or two more wins, a little bit more experience in in, uh, in that Bellator cage before she's in a position to really challenge Chris Cyborg. But problem we've got here, Sandu, Cyborg is running out of people to fight. And uh, it was very interesting. Kayla Harrison was in the crowd. On Friday night, they showed her on camera. They referenced her. Big John McCarthy asked Cyborg specifically about Kayla Harrison in the post-fight interview. And Cyborg said that she would she would welcome a fight with, with Kayla Harrison. Uh, but of course, uh, she mentioned that Ali Abdelaziz, who is Kayla's manager, would have to obviously talk to the promotion and get the deal done. So interesting to see what happens there. Kayla Harrison, we've seen her at UFC 268 last weekend. We saw her at Bellator 271 this weekend. Be interested to see where she does end up because she seems to have all the options that she needs. But if you're Bellator, I think you really need Kayla Harrison. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where where she goes. But that featherweight division is looking pretty thin because you've got Chris Cyborg just dominating that division and no sign of any viable contender in sight. Well, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, Simon. Kayla Harrison right now is like the hottest free agent in MMA. And I, and I love the fact that she was there in attendance to see Chris Cyborg do her thing. It keeps Kayla in the limelight. It keeps everybody guessing. Everyone's flirting with everybody right now. If I'm Bellator, that is the move I'm making. It's like 
the biggest signing you can make that will give your promotion an absolutely huge injection of interest and momentum, etc. And like I said before, Simon, you know, if you get Kayla Harrison, it's not a one and done fight with Cyborg. At the very minimum, you're going to get two fights out of them because that's how big they are. That's that's you know what you do when you have two big you know stars and you have two big um, you know fighters with tons of momentum. It's like you know between the rock and a hard place. It's like the irresistible force meets the immovable object. And I feel like Bellator, if they really want to make a a play to to be recognized in 2022, they need to sign Kayla Harrison. Not just because Chris Cyborg has no competition at a featherweight right now, but the fact that. This is literally one of the biggest fights you can make in the sport. So why not be the promotion that can actually make that happen? Um, good on Cyborg. She's getting paid. She's running through the competition. Like, you know, her reputation is absolutely still intact. But my God, if Kayla Harrison wants to step up and, you know, get a, And I think that's the one knock on Kayla Harrison. She just hasn't faced top tier elite competition. It doesn't get any better than Chris Cyborg. I am all for it. And I hopefully... Uh, hopefully we'll see that happen. I would love for her to sign with Bellator and for Bellator to announce in 2022 that there is going to be a Women's Featherweight Grand Prix. I think this is the absolute perfect moment for it. You take a look at their featherweight rankings right now and you've got the perfect mix of up-and-coming prospects, seasoned veterans, and then if you've got Kayla Harrison and Chris Cyborg in the lineup, two world champion caliber athletes. So you've got Liam McCourt, Sinead Kavanagh, and Janae Harding rising prospects within that featherweight division with big international followings. Then you've got Leslie Smith, Kat Zingano, Arlene Blenko, who have been there, seen it, and been in the very highest level in their respective promotions in their career. They've fought for world titles. Then you've got Chris Cyborg and Kayla Harrison. You throw all that into a, an, an eight-woman Grand Prix in 2022, you can build that fight. You can build and put them on opposite sides of the draw if you're confident that they're going to make it through to the end. And then you've got an absolutely massive, massive title fight at the end of it with a storyline that's been built up. And of course, Kayla Harrison, no stranger to tournament competition, having come through the PFL twice. So I think that would be absolutely outstanding. I'd love to see it. I'd also love to see her in the UFC. But I think from a financial point of view, Bellator might actually be the most lucrative option on the table. But that was Bellator 271, Sandu. We had some big news in the week, though. We've been waiting for it. We've been hoping for it. We thought we were going to get it. But Leon Edwards versus Jorge Masvidal is off. What can you tell us? Yeah, really unfortunate. Masvidal injured. He's out. And honestly, Simon, that was the big fight. You know, obviously, no, you know, there's, there are big fights. Don't get me wrong. There are massive fights, title fights on this card, UFC 269, the last pay-per-view of the year in Las Vegas. That's what the UFC are going to close the show with in terms of the major attraction, the major event, the major pay-per-view. But the fight that was moving the needle, the fight that's been building and bubbling for well over a year and a half now, uh, well, actually longer than that. It's been, what, two years, over two years now? Um, I keep forgetting that 2020 was essentially a pandemic year. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But yeah, Jorge Mazda and Leon Edwards, you know, obviously... The, the story that stems from that UFC London card, the three piece and a soda. And like, they obviously there's bad blood there. And it was like almost the perfect way for Leon to get that, you know, win, get that story out of the way, get that result done, put that in your rear view mirror before you go on to a title situation against Kamaru Usman. Well, now 
I mean, what do you do? I, I feel like Simon, it's the only right thing to do. It's put Leon Edwards in that title shot matchup against Kamaru Usman and perhaps with Jorge Masvidal, you know, this this history and story there with Colby Covington. Maybe even put those two fights on the same card, you know, because you've got all the characters there. You know, you, you can have the results play out the way they do and it could probably lead on to some some future fights as well. But yeah, if I'm Leon Edwards, I've pretty much done everything that UFC asked. At one point, they were trying to make him fight Hamza Shumayev. He said yes. Hamza pulled out. You know, they, they gave him the Nate Diaz fight. They gave him the Bilal Muhammad fight. You know, they, they said, hey, we're not going to give you a title shot just yet, but we'll give you Jorge Masvidal. He said yes to that. He's been saying yes a lot to the UFC. And I feel like he should get rewarded now because it's not his fault that fights have fallen out. And especially this fight has fallen out. Kamaru Usman has just defended his title. He's in a bit of a recovery mode at the moment. I'm sure Leon Edwards wants to stay active. I don't know, you know, if they can perhaps get a, a suitable replacement. I saw Nick Diaz randomly uh, jump into the Instagram comment saying, hey, put me in. That would be quite bizarre if we got Leon Edwards versus Nick Diaz. But if I'm Leon now, it's title shot or bust. Like, you know, and, and obviously you don't want to like go head to head with the UFC. You've got to be very diplomatic with how you, you know, put that opinion out there. But for any independent people, you know, that have been following the sport for a long time and following Leon Edwards' career, the guy's last loss was to Kamaru Usman years ago. He's put this insane win streak together. What more does he have to do? And yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that that fight's not going to take place because I was really looking forward to it. I think a lot of people were really looking forward to it. But hopefully we'll see it at some point down the road. It's not one of those fights that's lost forever. It's just lost for, for the time being. But yeah, let's get Leon Edwards going on now to a title shot, Simon. What do you think? Yeah, almost six years since that loss to Kamara was in December 2015 at UFC on Fox 17. Unanimous decision loss to Kamara Usman. And he's been unbeaten ever since. There's that no contest against Bilal Mohammed due to that unfortunate eye poke. Other than that, it's been wins all the way for Leon Rocky Edwards. He has done everything that he can do. He's been unfortunate in terms of the pandemic and the fact he's been kind of isolated a little bit over here in the UK, hasn't had the freedom to travel, hasn't been as present as the UFC would have, I'm sure, would have loved him to have been. And I'm sure as as he would have liked to have been, he wanted to take some of these fights and it just hasn't gone that way. You know, I think it's about six bouts overall or six bout bookings that he's he's missed out on. Hamzat Chimaev three times, Tyron Woodley once, Nate Diaz once, and of course now Jorge Masvidal. But as you said, and this is the crucial thing, he has been saying yes. He has been saying, yes, this is not a man who is ducking people. There seems to be this narrative out there on MMA Twitter that Leon hasn't been saying yes to people. He's been ducking. He hasn't been ducking. And this is the thing. He he gets a poor rap on social media. Maybe he isn't the biggest uh, or loudest personality. Look at the man's record. He has done everything that he could possibly do. Give him a fight. He takes the fight. If it falls through, it falls through. That's not his fault. But every time he steps in the cage, he delivers the goods and I think the time is right now to give him Kamara Usman. And it's interesting, Daniel Cormier, who is now technically an employee of the UFC, he's on their play-by-play commentary team. Soon as that news came out, he put a video on YouTube basically saying, here's my advice to Leon Edwards. Because I think Hamzat Chimaev was chirping and saying, I'll fight him, I'll fight him. And DC's advice was, do not take that fight. Do not take the bait. You do not need to fight Hamzat Chimaev. You have earned a title shot. You should be getting the title fight. The fact that he even agreed to fight Masvidal is, a, is another thing in his, in his favor because 
He doesn't need to fight Masvidal. In terms of his career, Masvidal's in the rearview mirror. If you look at rankings and everything else, that fight does not get him any closer to a title shot in terms of rankings. But that was a fight that he knew that he wanted, the world wanted to see, the UFC could do big business with. It made sense from that point of view. From a career point of view and a, getting to a title fight point of view, doesn't make an enormous amount of sense. But he was going to take that fight anyway. That fight is now a non-starter unless they're just going to rebook it. This is the one thing no one's really talked about. They could just rebook this fight. But I think the title fight is the fight. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. The title fight is the fight. The problem we have, Sandu, Usman's making the sort of noises that he's only going to take fights that really get him, get him excited. And a rematch with Leon Edwards, a guy he beat six years ago, and a guy who's notoriously difficult to look good against, that's not a fight that's going to get Kamara Usman massively excited, I don't think. Um, it's noticeable that he hasn't been saying too much about Leon of late. So that tells me he's not overly interested in that matchup. But Leon, Leon deserves it. He needs to get his shot. So I hope the UFC does him a solid. I hope they give him what he deserves, which is his title shot. And we get to see Leon and Kamaru have that rematch early in 2022. As for Masvidal, there is only one other fight to make, is there? It's the Colby fight. You've got to do the Colby fight. Let's talk about the ultimate fighter. My only worry about that is, can they go through a whole season of the ult ultimate fighter without a pair of them and sort of brawling in the UFC apex? That would worry me. But other than that, that is absolute dynamite and it would get some viewing figures as well. I mean, you couldn't book two big arrivals for a season of tough Masvidal and Colby. It's absolute promotion, promotion's dream. Colby fancies it. And I think Masvidal could probably be persuaded. So I'd love to see that happen. That would be awesome. Yeah, I haven't been watching The Ultimate Fighter for a long time. But if you get Colby and Jorge involved, yes, absolutely. That's going to get me tuning in. I think that'll get a lot of people tuning in. I'm sure ESPN, the, the major broadcast partner of, of, the, of the UFC in the US, would absolutely love that. Because, yeah, just seeing them in a, you know, small contained environment over x number of weeks you know there's gonna be all sorts of trouble there'll be all sorts of shenanigans going on between the two of them and if anything it'll just help build and still tell that story that perhaps some people aren't familiar with in terms of their past and their history so yeah sign me up for that that'd be great simon like ultimate fire with colby and jorge as a coaches that's the one that's the one let's do it yeah i would love to see that and as you say it would bring people back to tough i admit i didn't see anything from the last tough because just it just wasn't on the top of my hit list in terms of what I needed to see. So it would be great to give that a bit more kudos in uh, in 2022. But talking of people making a comeback or a bit of kudos and moving back up into into the uh, into the mindset of the MMA audience, Misha Tate is back in the octagon once again. This time it's a big fight. Ketlin Vieira, it's number seven versus number eight, I think, in that in that division. Ketlin Vieira ranks seventh. Misha Tate ranked eighth. This is a fascinating fight for me, Sandu. I mentioned it just before we came on air. You talk about crossroads fights. I don't know what Misha Tate's long-term fighting plans are, but I could conceivably look at this fight and say, if Misha Tate wins this fight, they could fast-track her to a title fight pretty quickly. If she loses this fight, and particularly if she loses it badly, she could maybe retire again. It could be as diametrically opposed as that. It's... It really is sort of feast or famine, potentially, this. I don't know whether Misha plans on just carrying on if she loses, bouncing back, and whether she's set a time frame and she's going to carry on for another year or 18 months, or whether it's it's a case of, this is my last run at a belt. If I lose, then I'm done. We've not really heard that. So 
I'm fascinated to see how this goes. Ketlin Vieira is not to be underestimated. She is absolutely legit. Yeah, she lost last time out against Yana Kunitskaya, but it was a, it was a real back and forth war. And uh, yeah, she's she's not to be messed with in that bantamweight division. This is a real test for Misha. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that one pans out. But if you're looking at this from the perspective of Misha Sandu, how do you see this going? Because okay, if she wins, there's there's the opportunity to fast track her. But what if she loses? What do you do with Misha's hate then? And what would she do? Do you think? Yeah, this is a tough fight, Simon. Caitlin Vera is really, really good. I actually genuinely thought, and we spoke about this when the fight went down, I genuinely thought when she beat Marion Renault, I thought, right, perfect. She's back. She's a star. She's a former bantamweight champion. There's history there between her and Amanda Nunes. She's she's back. She's winning. She's finished her opponent, put her into a title shot situation. I don't think anybody would be against it. Just given the fact that Nunes has run through both the bantamweight and obviously the less uh, stocker uh, division that is featherweight. But, you know, she's run through 135 rematches, all sorts of stuff. Why not do Misha Tate? It's a big fight. It's a sellable fight. ESPN would love it. UFC would love it. And all of a sudden, Misha Tate, 2.0, she's back. She wins. And she's taking another fight against another top contender in that top 10. And it's like, wow, if she wins now, it's almost like she's earning her title shot again. And I've, I have to say, I feel like if she wins this time, this weekend, two wins back-to-back in 2020, Misha Tate 2.0, yes. Let's now get into a situation where she's fighting Amanda Nunes. Let's do the rematch in 2022. But if she loses, and you alluded it to it, Simon, it's like, ah, it's a bit tough. Or what do you do? And like, is this her own litmus test? Is she actually taking this fight to find out if she's still got it and got what it takes to, to go on and, and fight for a title again? Because this is a five-rounder. It's a main event. So it's almost like a good, you know, progressive step up, both in competition, but also in a five-round fight situation. She's been in five-round fights before, but just given the long layoff that she had and the fact that the Marion Renault fight wasn't a five-rounder, that was a three-rounder, maybe that's her kind of thinking there in terms of going from a three-round fight to a five-round fight, then to a championship fight. But, man, all eyes will be on this weekend's main event because it should, in theory, set up a big, big fight for Amanda Nunes at some point next year. And let's face it, Misha Tate, one of the biggest draws in women's MMA history. She's obviously going to have a lot of uh, support and, and her fan base that'll be tuning in uh, to see her fight. And if she wins, I hope she cuts a promo. I hope the story after the fact is Amanda Nunes rematch. But if she loses, man, maybe we could see a retirement. I could definitely see that happening too. So a very monumental fight this weekend at the UFC Apex. Yeah, what a story it would be if Misha Tate gets another win and gets herself a rematch with Amanda Nunes after all that time away, becoming a mother and then coming back to the UFC, reinvented, as you say, Misha Tate 2.0 and getting back to world championship level again. That would be an incredible, incredible career arc given how she lost the title, how devastating it was when she lost it to, uh, to Amanda Nunes back at UFC 200. That was the main event at UFC 200. So... Um, that was that was a huge, huge stage for her to lose the way she did. She's been away. She's won championship for a while as a as a vice president. I think technically she still might still be employed by them um, and uh, gone away. And now she's back. So I'm fascinated to see how this goes and to see what happens, win, lose or draw on Saturday night. Uh, other fights on that card. Michael Chiesa, Sean Brady is the co-main event. 
We've got two Brits on the card, both on the main card, Sandy. Joanne Calderwood against Taylor Santos at flyweight and Davy Grant versus Adrian Yanez, which should be an absolutely brilliant stand-up fight. That opens up the main card on Saturday night. That'll be at the UFC Apex and uh, that'll be live as usual on BT Sport here in the UK. And uh, yeah, it should be, should be a good night. Looking forward to seeing both the Brits back in action, but all eyes will be on that main event with Misha Tate. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And also Michael Chiesa, you know, that co-main event is a, an important one for him as well because he was, you know, running on some crazy momentum and then obviously lost to Vicente Luque earlier this year. So this is actually a pretty good card for a fight. And I have to say lots of stories. We've got some Brits on there. You've got a potential situation if Misha Tate wins. She's going to be going to be going into a, a title match against Amanda Nunes. You've got the return of Michael Chiesa against Sean. Like, I really, really like, especially this main card. I, I'm loving this main card side. Yeah, these fight nights are delivering, you know, they we've talked about it earlier, but all these UFC events, even if they haven't got the, the if, if they're not stacked with the very biggest names top to tail, that doesn't mean this fight card's going to suck. And we just saw it at the weekend, you know, seven TKO finishes on the spin. Unbelievable action. We saw so many great finishes. We've obviously the Madison Square Garden event delivered. And I think we're going to see more of the same on Saturday night back at the UFC Apex as the UFC finishes 2021 really, really strong. And uh, who knows, maybe Misha Tate could be in for a, a championship fight in early 2022. We will find out on Saturday night. Sandu, I think that might be all we've got time for on this week's episode of the show. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to support Simon and I and you want to support the Brit Pack, the best thing to do is go to the website, which is MMA.com. That's the Brit Pack mma.com from there you can find our personal social handles you can find the brit packs twitter handle you can find us on spotify you can find us on apple Podcasts. you can rate review us you can leave a comment you can leave feedback if there's something that you want to see or a segment that you want us to produce on the show and if you do listen to us on apple podcast platform the best thing for you to do right there is rate and review us that's the thing that really helps us on the Apple Podcast platform because that's how shows get found. That's how the algorithm works. That's how Apple promotes other shows when they get lots of five-star ratings and reviews and things of that nature. So for those of you that do listen to us on Apple, if you do that, that'd be much appreciated. Great stuff. And uh, if you want to check out BT Sports coverage of Survivor Series on social, your man Sandu will be at the wheel for that this coming weekend. And uh, of course, we should take Kellen Vieira, main event of the UFC Apex on Saturday night. Enjoy the fights, enjoy the wrestling, and we'll be back to talk about it all next week.